0: This is JJ Holly, I'm president and CEO of the Woodlands Area Chamber of Commerce and welcome to our next episode of Between the Trees. Today we're going to talk about employer and employee rights as it as it pertains to the if I make sure I get it right, Families First Families Coronavirus first. Response Act, the yep. FFCRA. Yes. Uh, our first guest is from the law firm of Hopkins, Centric, Winkleman, and Drucker PL- PL- PLLC. That's right. Mr. Lee w- Winkleman. he's the managing member. So Lee, thank you for being here today. Thanks, and yeah. Welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's good to be here thank on this uh, on this
1: glorious day. Yeah. It's a glorious. What day, day are we of the quarantine now? What, what day uh, are we we're
0: on day four hundred and ninety-two. Okay, 492. Okay, yeah. All right, only eight hundred more to go. That's Thanks. true. So, That's true. It uh, is weird. It feels like uh, Groundhog Day and uh, Dog yeah. Years all rolled into one. Yes, life. yes,
1: yes. It uh-huh. does. Twenty twenty is it's already twenty twenty-two, but but by uh-huh. the, you know, by That's the right. end of this year, for uh-huh. sure. <laughs>
0: It's been a little crazy. It's an yeah. unprecedented time. It is. And, uh, it of is. course, there's been some legislation that's happened that uh, to help deal with the response and to uh, kind of help the economy and help employers and employees. Can right. you give us a little bit of a... History on the family's first coronavirus sure, response. Sure, sure. Yeah, first
1: I want to start off by just thanking everyone for tuning in. Uh, this is a joint effort uh, with the WBA Woodlands Bar Association and the Chamber. Thank you. Um, we uh, every year the Chamber and the WBA does an employment law update, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And uh, we do that as sort of a service to the small businesses in the area to update them on changes to employment laws. Well. We got together and we realized that this is a very, very important change that has come through with the FFCRA and it made no sense to wait until the fall to take care of it and to address it. So we're putting this together as a free resource, uh, as our mm-hmm. way of sort of saying thanks and giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. So, and thank you for that. Thank yeah. you. Well, you're very much welcome. And with, let, me, let me give you my lawyer disclaimer, JJ. <laughs> this is for informational purposes only. I am no one's lawyer out here, nor is any of the lawyers, in, nor are any of the lawyers they're going to be speaking anyone's lawyer, um, unless you are our client. But anyway, uh, we're we're not creating a that's a disclaimer for disclaimer exactly, man. I'll tell you, there's just disclaimers <laughs> on top of disclaimers. Um, but no, this is informational purposes only. This is not legal advice. It is does not create any sort of attorney client relationship. So, with that out of the way, um, the uh, family's first. Uh, Coronavirus Response Act was passed in mid-March and went into effect on April 1st, mm-hmm. okay? So what I want to say about this is, is that this is a, an unprecedented law, okay? From, you know, you kind of say uh, death and taxes, right? They're inevitable. Well, what inevitably had been or one thing you could always rely on was the federal government would never require you to pay employees for not working, okay? So there was the FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act, before, which that's been around for a while and it gives employees 12 weeks of unpaid leave. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was no, we could always kind of tell our clients, well, look, you're never going to have to pay an employee for not working. The an, very rule, un- never say exactly, never. Exactly. Right? Uh, never say never until now. Okay. So um, the, uh, obviously there was, I think that the response or the need for the FSCRA was there Congress saw it. I will tell you, it is put together. It was put together very quickly, mm-hmm. and I think it shows in the way it's kind of written and what it could lead to, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's here to stay at least until the end of the year. So let's dive right in. I wanna, I'm gonna just give a little overview, and mm-hmm. I think you have some questions for me. Sure. So, okay. So just real quickly, the FFCRA is divided up into, well, it, it requires employers to give leave to employees and pay them for that leave, and the leave has to be related to something with COVID-19, and they're enumerated. Okay? So there's two pieces of it. There's the emergency paid, we're getting more alphabet soup, emergency paid sick leave act. Okay? Mm-hmm. That is generally gives two weeks' worth of paid leave. Okay? And then there's the emergency family medical leave expansion act, which expands the FMLA and gives employees an additional 12 weeks of, uh, of leave, 10 paid to unpaid for care for a child at home who is out of school or
0: because their school's closed. But so, it's unrelated to a, a care of a child, not correct. of an adult or an well, There's uh, so we'll, I, we'll get through, yep. I'll
1: enumerate all the different reasons for leave here in a second. But, uh, but yeah, that's just sort of the overview. It is a, this is on top of the leave you already have for your employees. So a lot of employers already have, um, you know, uh, uh, PTO programs, vacation mm-hmm. time, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. This is on top of that. So this is in addition to it, employees are getting two weeks of paid leave, at least, at least.
0: Great. Um, You want to get into the questions? Sure. Yeah. So uh, what type of businesses are covered by the FFCRA? Well, good question. (laughs) So no, this is
1: truly a small business statute. So it does not apply to the big boys. You have to have under 500 employees. So it's literally one to 500 it applies to. And that counts full-time and part-time employees. So, and uh, no matter how long they've been there, you know, Mm day one, whatever. So, um, that's who it applies to. That all employees essentially benefit from this. Um, so yeah,
0: okay, yeah, great.
1: So so everyone. I mean, the point being is, that pretty much anyone running a small business is going to affect them. Yeah, it, it will. What about sole proprietors, things like that? Sole proprietors, if you're if you're a sole proprietor, but you have an employee, you're still an employer. So okay. if you have one
0: employee, you're sole proprietor. You have one employee. So it doesn't matter. Just doesn't matter. One, one up one, to five hundred. Exactly. Okay. right. Exactly. Great. great. And uh, what is, what are some of the requirements for employers in relation okay. to this act? So this is the big the big piece of this. So I'm going to go through. I'll
1: give you the the six enumerated enumerated reasons that you can have leave, and then we'll kind of go through, and tell you how much leave you get, how much money you get, et cetera, et cetera. What else is required? So there are six enumerated reasons. Like I said, um, I'm going to go through them. I'm gonna then I'm going to kind of unpack them and group them together, and you'll see that there's really only a handful of reasons. Okay. So the very first reason is. The employee is subject to a governmental quarantine order. So mm-hmm. this is something that, you know, we've had in place here recently, you know, stay at home orders, that sort of thing. And I, oh, I, I would be remiss to point out that the way the statute is worded is, it's not that the employee just has to stay at home, it's that the employee cannot work or telework. Okay, so you mm-hmm. cannot work from home. Which um, in today's world. Exactly, it's, it's pretty common and, and employees mm-hmm. are able to do that. So this mm-hmm. would be a situation where you have an employee who um, is under a stay-at-home order, but just cannot do their job from home. Okay. Oh, and I'm remiss to to point out that there are ex- there there were in terms of the employees that this applies to, who gets the leave. There there is two there are two exceptions. So, healthcare providers and emergency responders do not get this leave. So, mm-hmm. do want to point that out? Yeah, they they are they are they are there. They are our required help right now. And uh, we need them more than ever. And, and God bless you, been by the way, if you're out there doing that. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And they've typically been under special rules. Correct. Exactly. Anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah. so. So first reason, under a quarantine order by the government. Second reason, under a quarantine order by a healthcare physician, okay? So this is the person with COVID-19 or at risk, at high, high risk of getting COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is with all these stay-at-home orders that are being lifted, I think that, that first reason is probably not gonna be an issue here in the near future. The second one though, I think I think employers need to be on the lookout for because you're gonna have employees that could be susceptible to COVID-19, uh, for whatever reason, immunocompromised, et cetera, maybe getting notes from their healthcare provider says you need to stay at home and that sort of thing. And if for whatever reason they're not able to work from home, then they're gonna be leaves, they're gonna be able to get leave. So the third reason is is the person is experiencing symptoms and is actively seeking a COVID-19 diagnosis. Let me be clear. They are actively seeking a COVID-19 diagnosis. It is not enough for the employee to get sick, go home for two weeks, come back and say, I think I had COVID-19, um, but I'm great. Now I'm ready to go back to work, okay? They're, they don't get paid for that, all right? This is, they're actively out seeking it. So this is something that likely would not take an entire two week period. You know, It's like literally going to the doctor to get tested. Um, but obviously that could lead to a quarantine order by a healthcare physician. Um, the, uh, fourth, the fourth reason is to care for someone else. So the first three reasons I gave were sort of employee specific. They were, they were related to employee needing time for the employee, right? Mm -hmm. This is the, the fourth reason is the employee needs time to care for someone else. So this is to, this is the employee can't work from home or work at work, um, because they have to care for someone who is under a quarantine order by the government or under a quarantine order by a healthcare provider, okay? So that's number four. Number five is the big one, and this is the one that I think is near and dear to everyone's heart. Can't work from home because your child's school is closed and you're having to homeschool them. Mm. Or for whatever reason, you can't. You have to care for them, okay? And this is an interesting one for me, I think, because and it's a big issue with now the governor's order that all schools are closed exactly. for the rest of the, the school year. Precisely, right? And and I think I said this went into effect on April first, so it's something that's in effect right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it'll be here through the end of the year. Hopefully, 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 uh, we only have
0: to deal with school closures through the you know through. May, I guess, whenever and, school's closed. And the dates of this particular act cover through the end of the calendar year, December 31st. exactly. Yeah. So you could have a, in the a spillover sp- into the fall semester right. at different... Correct. If, if for whatever reason they
1: decide that come fall, kids can't go back to school yet, it's not safe, this this mm-hmm. will be an issue in the fall. But for the next six weeks, for the next, well, I guess, month or so, I guess school's mm-hmm. out, um, this could be an issue. And But what's interesting about it is, is that it's... It's uh it says the employee is unable to work from home, okay? So we know there's a lot of people are juggling things, right? I mean everyone's juggling everything right now. And um, it doesn't appear that the statute is, well, you know, I, I can't really work from home that well. It's kind of a it's a pain in the butt, sort so, so uh-huh. to speak. But how
0: effective can you be? Yeah,
1: exactly. How effective can you be? So it's there there's no bright line. I mean it's it, obviously it's common sense. Work with your employee. I think if the employee just says, I'd rather not work from home and I'd rather just take care of my kids, that's mm-hmm. that's not gonna be a valid, a valid excuse if they're mm-hmm. able to work from home. So, so that's five. Number six is one that we really don't need to worry about. It's uh it's like this catch-all. It says uh that the employee is experiencing, I'm quoting this, experiencing substantially similar conditions specified by the DOL. So that is sort of like a placeholder for if something later comes down the road that they need to plug in there, they can plug it in there. Okay. So kind of when you look at these five, when you look at these five reasons, you can break it down into kind of groups of two, two different groups. So you have, like I said, the employee is seeking leave for the employee or the employee is seeking leave for someone else, essentially, so those two. And it's important to make that distinction because that is going to determine how long the leave is and how much the person gets paid. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, so I'm going to switch now to discussing, you know, how long the the leave is and what the pay requirements are. So, if you are seeking leave for a personal, for, for you personally, so one of those first three reasons I gave, you're under a quarantine order by a healthcare provider or by the government, or you are um, you're seeking a COVID nineteen diagnosis, um, you get two weeks of of paid leave. So for full time employees, it's eighty hours. For part time employees, that's the average number of hours they would work in two weeks. Um, and you are paid full full rate, full fare, your your complete uh, salary um, up to there are caps and they're odd caps. I'm not sure where they came from, but five hundred eleven dollars a day or five thousand one hundred and ten dollars. For the two week period, okay, and that comes out to roughly somebody making about one hundred forty thousand a year, a little bit under that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are they're compensating highly highly compensated employees for these things, so, which is interesting. Um, which
0: I guess part of that is to encourage people, if they are sick, please stay home. Correct,
1: correct. I think that is I think that is the case. You don't it's, want to
0: choose between working and and you know getting a paycheck and being healthy. Exactly, exactly. That that's exactly right. Exactly. And and
1: um, which is. You know, kind of a breath of fresh air. That the it's nice. I mean, it is nice that the government is looking out for the employees yeah. in this sense. I mean, it's it's, act, it's actually a surprising dose of reality, reality in, right. our, in our <laughs> left, right. in our
0: legislative process. It is.
1: No, it is. It is for sure. Um, so if you're if you are if you're seeking leave though for somebody else, okay. If you're seeking leave to uh, care for somebody under a quarantine order, or you're seeking leave because you have to care for a child whose school or daycare is closed, um, you get two weeks under the. Uh, uh, emergency Paid um, Sick Leave Act, mm-hmm. and but you're only going to get two-thirds of your regular rate of pay. So you still get 80 hours, uh, but only two-thirds, and that's capped at $200 a day, and at... Uh, and that's if you're taking care of someone else. Correct. Okay. Exactly. That's if you're taking care of someone else. So you're going to get paid less if you're having to take off work to take care of someone else, okay. basically. Um, and it's roughly half. It's, it's, so it's, the caps are 200000 and 2000 aggregate. Mm-hmm. So um, you're getting paid a little bit less. Uh, now, with respect to that last one, the number five, um, the, uh, there, that's where the uh, extended family medical leave comes in to care for a child. So not only are you allowed those two weeks under the Emergency Paid Leave Act, uh, or Emer- Emergency Sick Paid Leave Act, um, Paid Sick Leave Act, sorry anyway uh, you're also Way allowed, too many words. i know right you're you're also allowed another 12 weeks of extended family medical leave and two of those weeks the first two weeks do not have to be paid the next 10 do and they are subject to the same caps the the $200 a day or in this case $10,000 aggregate so if you have an employee who cannot work from home because they have got to take care of a child They are entitled to up to 14 weeks of leave, two of which would be unpaid, um, and uh, it's going to be capped at $12,000 total to that employee. Um, So that's sort of how. Do you have any anything you want to? Any questions on on, in particular about about
0: that? I I think that covers it. I know it's a very complex. You did a great job summarizing and making it very simple. That's it's a it's a complex program. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that makes sense that you broke it down into buckets. So I right. think that helps a yeah, lot. Yeah,
1: no, I think it's just remember if the employee is taking off for themselves, they're gonna get paid more, they're gonna get mm-hmm. paid full rate. If the employee's taking off, take care of somebody else, you know, that long period of time that the employer's required to pay for, that's, is gonna, that is gonna be at a lower rate mm-hmm. than than the other leave. So mm-hmm. um, the one thing I wanna talk about too, or point out is, is that employees obviously generally have other other forms of PTO available, right? Mm-hmm. So what you cannot do though, the employer cannot tell a uh, an employee you have to take all of your employer provided PTO before taking the two weeks of uh, paid sick leave. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's with the paid sick leave portion. All right, with the extended family medical leave, which is ten weeks, two weeks of which is unpaid, you can require the employer to exhaust all other forms of PTO um, prior to or you know, in connection with that two-week period or prior to taking extended family medical leave. So employers have that right. They've always had that right under the FMLA to require, because it was unpaid, so mm-hmm. that they could require the employee to, um, you know, to take, uh, to, to take like, say, 12 weeks of vacation or something mm-hmm. like that during FMLA. But um, the uh, employee can also always elect to take, um, to take paid leave, you mm-hmm. know, uh, provided by the employer for that two-week period. Employees are, are allowed to elect to take it sort of however they want, okay. basically.
0: And I think the last question I have is, uh, how are employers, employers, not employees, compensated uh, for the paid leave they're providing? So employers
1: are compensated um, through tax credits, okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, they get a dollar-for-dollar dollar credit for any amount paid for, for extended family medical leave or for paid sick leave, um, you know, paid to the employee. They get a dollar-for-dollar dollar credit on their quarterly uh, employment tax. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and any overage is actually refunded back to them. So it, they're, they're, overall, you take however much you paid that quarter, you say, okay, this is a credit against my quarterly, uh, employment tax liability. And, uh, if, it, if there's an overage, you get that back actually. Mm-hmm. Now, now the credits though, the, 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 now, the, 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 the credits, the credits are taxes gross income. Yes. Okay. So they're going to get taxed. It's not free right. money, you know, that sort of thing. But, um, how are we on time? There was a couple other things I did. Uh, we're,
0: we're doing good. We're, we're good. Okay.
1: Um, I, I do want to point out that with respect to the uh, uh, the leave for an, the extended leave for employee taking care of their child because the, mm-hmm. the school's closed, there is an exception for small small businesses, smaller the smallest businesses mm-hmm. of fifty or below. So um, for the longest time, this is the thing. The, F, the FMLA. Um, it, uh, it only applied to employers with more than 50 employees, and the employee to take FMLA leave had to be um, had to be employed for like basically the majority of the year, like 55% of the year, the preceding year. And um, now the, the FMLA has been amended to apply to to employers, you know, all employers. Mm-hmm. Um, they've and to employees that have been there for 30 days. I don't know if I mentioned that, but that's important too. In order to take that extended family medical leave. To take care of a child, you have to have been employed for thirty days. So they would have to employed by March first. Correct. For, or okay. no, 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 no. This thirty days prior to taking it. Okay. Yes, perfect. exactly. Perfect. Yeah, thirty days prior to taking it. Um, so they can get the two weeks under the Paid Sick Leave Act first day of employment. Literally, mm-hmm. um, they they have to be there for thirty days before they can take the extended leave. So what the what's happened is is that the DOL has or that there's a there's an exception written in for employers of fifty or less. Mm-hmm. Under the statute, if uh, if an employee is required to take leaves, take care of a child. And it just basically says, look, you don't have to give this person leave if giving them leave is going to make you go out of business. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, it, the DOL, it's not written, the statute, the... the uh, the statute just says that the DOL can make an exception. The DOL has come out and sort of laid out the exception. And according to the DOL, what I've seen is so there's no need to like apply to the DOL to ask for an exemption or anything like that. It's just mm-hmm. you do not have to give it um, if you have made the determination that that giving that leave would essentially put the company out of business. Now, having said that, these are one of those. I mean, making that decision is a hard is a hard decision to make for an employer because. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the chances of being wrong, That's right, right or, or being right, I mean, it's either mm-hmm. way, you're kind of, mm-hmm. it, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough, tough decision because you don't have any certainty that your exception applies, mm-hmm. it's based on your subjective belief, so there's and, always and risk. And would
0: encourage employers and employees to discuss this exactly. and find an right. amicable solution Correct. so that it balances the business need with the personal health need right. or safety need. Right, exactly,
1: yeah. exactly.
0: Um, the other thing, too, about this
1: leave is it's, um, it's job-protected leave, okay? So that means that when the employee is done with the leave, they have to be restored to their position. Now, mm-hmm. there is an exception. There is an exception for <laughs> employee for employers of 25 or less. So we have the exception of employers for 50 or less. Um, they do not have to give leave if doing so, leave for uh, to take care of a child whose mm-hmm. school is out if doing so would put the company out of business. So there's, a, there's an exception to job restoration for those periods of leave. So you have an employee that's been out for extended family medical leave to take care of a child whose school is closed and um, you generally have to restore them back to the same position. If you're under 25 employees, however, uh, there is an exception if that position is no longer available due to economic circumstances related to COVID-19 and you make a reasonable effort to place that employee in an equivalent position but one was not available and you continue to keep you 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 continue to attempt to contact that employee for the next year, uh, if they uh, if a similar position opens up. Yeah. So it requires some exceptions. Yeah, there's some exceptions. Exactly. It, it requires a lot of the employer, but uh, mm. um, you know it is it is an exception. Sure. Um, the uh, uh, the other thing too. Uh, now this will apply. This applies to every employer. Mm-hmm. Get up, get online if you don't have it yet. Google. Uh, required COVID-19 FFCRA notice or something like that. There's mm-hmm. one of those pretty, uh, you know, the Duel puts out that you put yeah, in your break and room. is all
0: through Department of Labor. Uh,
1: exactly, all through Department yeah. of Labor. Every employer is required to have one of those signs and post it in a conspicuous mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. okay? So um, that's something that everyone watching this, if you're an employer, do it right now. Not right now, wait till that, this is over, but that's you get right. the idea. Um, the uh I guess the one last thing I want to go through is just uh, what's prohibited. So of course, uh, discrimination, you know, on the basis of mm-hmm. uh, do not discriminate against your employees for taking this leave, right. do not fire them for asking for this leave, mm-hmm. you know, these are common sense sorts of sorts of things, um, exposure, employer exposure for, uh, for one of the, if, if they were to uh, deny someone leave, you're going to, you're not only going to have to pay the leave, okay but then you're gonna to have to pay liquidated damages, which is mm-hmm. the same amount as the leave. So that's double your money. Plus mm-hmm. you're going to, you're not only gonna pay your lawyer, but you're gonna pay the other side's lawyer too, if yeah. you lose. Yeah. So uh, just make smart decisions. That's all I got to say. Just do smart not- common Smart, decisions. common sense decisions. Smart, common sense decisions. Exactly. And man, I will tell you, I've had employers, I mean, I've had clients that have called me, You know, they're having issues with their employees and I will tell you that Right now, more than ever, you have got to have grace with your employees because this is a very, very tough time, and everyone is reacting differently to this. Mm -hmm. And some people are really, really, really scared, Mm -hmm. really scared. And this is something that they're not only scared for themselves but for their loved ones. So just you know, things are coming at everyone at at a rapid pace. The law is changing. You know, just. Just everyone just like take a deep breath and just kind of have grace with each other. Yeah, let's not be you know? so rule-bound exactly. right now. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. So um,
0: I think that's all I've got for yeah. my piece. So, well, Lee, um, thank you again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, again, this is Lee Wickleman. He's the managing uh, member, um, one of the managing members. Real, real right? quick, one thing yeah. I did
1: want to point out. Oh. Sorry, this is this is something I really do apologize. But this is something I want to throw out there for everyone to think about. It's not, we, we don't really know how this is going to shake out, but because the FMLA has been amended to mm-hmm. allow for, for it to apply to employers under 50 employees, so zero to 500, mm-hmm. there is some question as to whether or not now the full FMLA applies to those employers, okay? So clearly they have to give leave for, um, uh, to care for a child whose school is closed. But man, it could very well be, I wouldn't, I mean, the way, the what it did was it amended the definition of employer in the statute itself. So mm-hmm. the way I read it and other, the way other lawyers read it is that that, now the FMLA now applies to all employ, employers. So if I had a client that had 14 employees and they came to me and said, hey, I've got an employee that, that wants to go on a maternity leave that's going to have a child and wants to take FMLA for maternity, normally I would say, no, you're 14 employees. But now I would have to probably say, you might have to do that, you know, again, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's not, we don't know that for sure. I think that'll shake out the, the Department of Labor will issue some regulations on this thing. So mm-hmm. we'll be able to figure that all out, but it's something to keep in mind. And definitely if that happens, um, call your lawyer. So yeah, yeah.
0: perfect, perfect. Yeah. Well, Lee, again, thank you for uh, your time today. Yes, and we're guys. gonna take a quick break while we transition to our next guest.
2: Woodlands Online is committed to serving our local community. From news and events coverage to shows and blogs, everything we do is hyper-local. Woodlands Online. By the Woodlands. For the Woodlands.
0: Thank you for staying with us uh, on another episode of Between the Trees. Now we have Lee Freeman with Lee Freeman, attorney at law, PLLC. And thank you for being here today. Good morning, JJ. We're going to talk about uh, layoffs and furloughs and pay reductions as it relates to the COVID-19 crisis. So... um, Let's start off with, uh, so what are some initial points to consider before you would go to the layoff or furloughing of employees?
3: Um, Sure. Thank you uh, for having us. Thank you to the Chamber and to Woodlands Online for helping the Bar Association Mm -hmm. uh, coordinate this update. Um, When employers are considering uh, whether to implement a furlough or a layoff, What they need to keep in mind as a common theme throughout the process is make sure you are applying it in a non-discriminatory fashion. Mm So historically, um, layoff situations have had the effect of maybe having a disparate impact on some of our older workers. So when you think about your workforce and in these tough times, and we've been through tough times before and we'll get through this tough time, but um, one of the things that uh, employers are thinking about is how to reduce costs. So where would you go first? You would maybe find some of your highest paid employees and have them be subject to a layoff or a furlough. What that tends to do, however, is if you think about many times the highest paid employees are those with the most experience and maybe tend to be the older workers Mm -hmm. in your workforce. Um, So because of that disparate impact is what we call it that um, layoffs can tend to have against older workers. We have some special provisions that have been built into the um, laws. And these are provisions that were there before COVID-19, but maybe have some special applications, you know, as we'll get into a little bit more. Um, but again, just in the back of your mind, always keep in in uh, in mind that we want to make sure we're not uh, de- applying a furlough or a layoff in a discriminatory fashion, whether it be against older workers, uh, or any other protected class, um, which would be mm-hmm. females, um, those are for, uh, in a certain uh, racial or ethnic group. So always keep that um, in mind. Um, along, alongside with that, when you are considering whether to do implement um, a layoff if you are an employer that has 100 employees or more, you are subject to what is called the WARN Act, uh, which stands for the Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act. Again, lots of acronyms in employment law, lots of statutes, <laughs> but WARN. We a cheat sheet. Exactly, thank goodness we have it. Uh, WARN means you know, what you would think it means. Yeah. Employers with 100 employees or more have a duty to warn their employees of a mass layoff. These are things where um, we've had a plant closed, that kind of thing. However, it still is going to apply during COVID. Mm-hmm. Now, the, um, the standard in the statute for giving written notice to employees that are going to be subject to a mass layoff is 60 days. Mm. We have no idea at this point what's going to happen in 60 days. What is 60 days going to look like? Um, there is an exception in the statute um, for unforeseeable business circumstances, if this doesn't qualify, I think
0: that we've met that <laughs>
3: as an unforeseeable circumstance. Um, you know, then what does? Certainly, uh, I think that's that's going to be an exception that employers can take advantage of, but still give the notice, even if you're giving the notice mm. on the same day that you decide to do the layoff. You know, might what, as well be safe then. Be better to be safe yeah. than sorry. Um, I think overall the one of the points of this whole program is to make sure that employers are aware of and are complying with employment laws that are out there and not making, having the potential to make a bad situation worse. Mm-hmm. And whether it be intentional or unintentional, you know, this kind of law, for example, is, is going to apply to you. Um, so certainly if you're one of the, the uh, employers that has 100 employees or, or more, keep in mind the Warren Act and, and if you're giving notice uh, to your employees under that
0: act. Okay. And what about, so that's furloughs and layoffs, what about if you're offering severance packages?
3: Sure, so we've seen um, a lot of employers that have existing severance policies already built into their HR policies. Severance is optional, unless, of course, you may have uh, an executive, for example, that has an employment agreement. They have a Mm three-year term. You want them to be part of a layoff after one year. You're going to have to pay them Mm -hmm. under their contract for those other two years. But um, when we're thinking about a severance package or severance policy that employers may have um, existing at their workforce, Um, a couple things come to mind. Again, you need to be offering severance to everyone in an equal fashion. Don't be
0: discriminatory, yeah.
3: Don't be discriminatory. Mm -hmm. Do not offer severance only to people who, for example, didn't take advantage of the new uh, FMLA Mm -hmm. um, leave provisions that are now in the statute. Apply it in an even fashion. Um, Most times when we see severance being offered, because it is voluntary on the part of the employer, it's an exchange for something, right? Mm-hmm. The employer wants to get something in exchange for mm-hmm. offering a severance benefit, and typically that is the form of a release. So, in exchange for getting a severance payment, the employee is releasing any potential um, claims, discrimination claims, other types of claims that the employee mm-hmm. may have against their employer.
0: As well, as, this might be obvious, but also the uh, the, the job protections as well. Exactly. Uh, you know, you're you're uh, you're essentially no longer affiliated with that company anymore, so your position or any advancement would, would not apply.
3: Exactly, and um, a lot of times you're giving up if you have you know, uh, equity, um, mm-hmm. stock options, things like that in the company. You know, you're, you're willing to walk away for that in exchange for payment now. Um, again, as I alluded to in the beginning, because of the his- history of problems with layoffs affecting older workers, if you are going to lay off someone who is in that protected class, Uh, being over 40 and you have 20 or more employees. So again, this is gonna apply to your smaller employers um, that are doing layoffs and uh, if you're offering severance and you want that older worker to release their claims, there's some specific requirements that you need to put in your severance agreement. You need to specifically reference the Age Discrimination and Employment Act and let them know that this includes, you know, when you ha- you see those blanket releases, all mm-hmm. any claims that could ever here or forevermore be, mm-hmm. you have to call out that statute so that kind of that, that bell could go off, oh, wait a minute, am I being subject to this uh, furlough or layoff because of, because of my age? Um, you need to let them know and remind them that they have a right to seek counsel, again, because there is sort of um, an expectation that it could be affecting them um, mm-hmm. at a higher rate than other employees. Um, and then there's also a uh, time that you have to leave that offer open for them to consider it. If it's just one employee being laid off, they have 21 days. We're mostly seeing groups, you know, of, mm. of layoffs. In that instance, they have forty-five days that you need to keep that offer on the table for them to take the time to again consider whether or not. Um,
0: so you've got some employers that, um, because they may, since they may have zero revenue coming in, uh, how does that factor into this this wait period? If look, I've got to cut costs immediately. Uh, I can't wait 21 or 45 days.
3: Uh, that's a great question. So the waiting period applies to the employee's time to accept severance in exchange for the release. Mm-hmm. So the layoff can be implemented immediately. Okay. They they just need to allow that time for consideration if they're offering severance in exchange so for the release. So you could
0: do both then, uh, an immediate layoff, but offer a severance at... Correct. Okay.
3: Yes, exactly. Um, and that first time period can be waived. Mm-hmm. So in this situation where you have employees that are uh, laid off and are wanting their severance, right? That's money that's gonna be used to pay their bills Employee say, I don't need to wait the 45 days, I'm good, or I don't mm-hmm. need to wait the 21 days, I want to sign The first period can be waived. There is, however, a second time period after the employee signs their severance agreement, there's a seven-day right to uh, revoke the agreement. Just in case they get
0: home and have second thoughts just in or case they have second discover thoughts. other circumstance that they might exactly. be... Exactly. Uh, and
3: that uh, time period cannot be waived. So the severance cannot be paid until that seven-day period mm-hmm. has expired. Um, mm-hmm. So again, consider uh, and be aware of, especially when you have older workers in your workforce, that these are um, issues that are gonna apply to them. If um, you do have a group layoff situation, you also have to let the employers know, I'm sorry, the employees know the ages and the positions of the people that were laid off. So this helps them, and if they were to get counsel, understand, are again, are we having a disparate impact? Okay, I see everyone laid off is 40, 42, 45, 48, mm-hmm and they're all executive positions, why aren't the new hires, the younger people, being Mm -hmm. laid off, you know, and that would be something they would need to dive into. Um, But so those are the two big uh, issues that employers need to deal with if they're gonna offer severance, um, and workers over 40 Mm -hmm. are involved. Um, Another uh, just quick question that I've had come up is, when you're waiving your claims for severance, people say, well, if I'm giving them severance, then they waive their right to unemployment, correct? It's actually illegal to include a waiver or a, a, a require an employee mm-hmm. to disclaim unemployment in their severance. So again, keep, so that's a cost that related to
0: this uh, on the exactly. employer side that they need to keep in mind.
3: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay. Yep. Can can pay cuts be applied retroactively?
3: No, they cannot be um, under our Texas uh, Wage Act. So, um, in addition to layoffs, we've also seen you know there's many variations of how people are trying to cut costs when it comes to employees. So we've seen layoffs, we've seen furloughs, which typically means like a week without pay, two weeks without pay, Mm -hmm. or we've seen reductions in salary. Your job is still the same, your duties are still the same, you're just gonna get paid less. Mm -hmm. All those things need to be um, applied proactively in the future, and again, in a non-discriminatory fashion. Um, in order to protect the employees uh, and, and protect the employees and um, minimize the risk that the mm-hmm. employer you know may have claims going forward, which is the last thing we want. I think it would be more. difficult
0: to retrieve retroactively. Well, I pay think anyway, the question right?
3: it comes into question because of the timing of um, your maybe, pay period.
0: Uh, pay period and time sheets. Yes, Got it.
3: exactly. So as long as you say, okay, starting for work done today going forward, you're going to be reduced. So your next mm-hmm. paycheck, which was for the past two weeks. You know, uh, you'd need to wait to, to implement that pay cut. Um, well, you need to be careful when you're implementing some of these salary reductions, um, because you still need to be mindful of Minimum Wage Act mm-hmm. and that you're paying employees uh, minimum wage. And if, for example, they are in a position where they would be working overtime one week, you know, maybe a big order came in and everybody's rushing to get it out, you know. Um, those uh, wage and hour laws still apply during COVID. So make sure if you are reducing wages, you know, you're still complying with minimum wage and overtime. Um, for salaried employees, in order to reduce the salaried employees' um, pay and maintain their exemption, you have to have a business purpose and you need to have that reduction be for, um, not be intermittent, so again, there could be a tendency to say, "Well, we have work this week, so everyone's going to get their full pay. Next week, maybe we don't have as many orders, so we're going to go down. And then, but I'll, but don't worry, I'll bump you up, back up once we get our orders back in. Yeah. With the salaried employees, yes, you can step down, but if you start." Um, Uh, having the wage fluctuate to where it looks more like they're getting paid really by the hour, then they're going to lose their exempt status and you're going to have to go back to worrying about overtime and minimum wage for those employees, you know, that you'd previously had as exempt. So keep that in mind as well.
0: And a lot of what we've talked about today has to do with the Families First uh, Coronavirus Response Act or the FFCRA. Mm -hmm. How does, uh, or, or with the new CARES legislation, how does that impact this employer-employee relationship.
3: Sure. So, um, when it comes to considerations with uh, layoffs and furloughs and that and that kind of um, element, mm-hmm. there are um, some important parts of the CARES Act that employers need to be aware of. Um, one part of the CARES Act that's gotten a lot of attention is the payroll uh, paycheck protection program. Mm-hmm. If employers were able to get the paycheck protection program, and um, apparently we've just heard that another round is going to yes. be coming through, which is wonderful. And
0: those are 310 billion dollars. Yes, be good. that's which good news. Is
3: amazing, yes. um, and hopefully mm-hmm. some of it's going to be allocated, you know, to those smaller businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, employers have maybe had to make decisions and haven't had the revenue to be able to pay their employees and may have layoffs in the interim. So now Mm -hmm. employers are thinking, okay, well, I've had to lay people off, but now I've gotten a paycheck, uh, protection program loan. Mm -hmm. In order to have full forgiveness of that loan, you need to have your headcount back up to the average, um, full-time employees that you were prior to the coronavirus. And there's, there's, Some different formulas in the statute Mm -hmm. and a couple different options um, that you can go through. But just keep in your mind that um, if you want to have full loan forgiveness, you need to get those employees back on the payroll in terms of headcount and also in terms of salaries. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely something to keep in mind as, um, again, as this is ever changing People who had originally laid off people, um, maybe you know they're getting a paycheck protection program loan, which is great because the whole point of that was to keep people employed. That's right. Hopefully, you know for the interim period and depending depending
0: on your industry, uh, like especially in the restaurant industry, we saw uh, furloughs, layoffs, uh, severance just almost immediately, and. so it's it's, uh, it's good to hear that some of those establishments are, are getting some, some payroll protection and maybe can help their employees yes, ride I, through the wave.
3: Exactly. Um, so that's a, a huge benefit um, that the CARES Act um, provided in order to hopefully um, either mitigate or prevent some of these laylo- uh, layoffs and furloughs yeah. um, and salary reductions that we've been talking about. Um, if the you didn't get a payroll protection loan or um, it runs out because that's, you know, can Mm -hmm. ideally... uh, Because
0: it's only, what, eight weeks, two and a half months. Two and
3: a half months average Mm -hmm. salary was what the loan amount was based on, and then you have an eight-week period from Mm -hmm. the time your loan is dispersed um, to go ahead and get that money into your employees' pockets or, um, you know, pay those exempt expenses. Mm -hmm. Um, if you are still looking at a situation where after that you're still going to have to implement mm-hmm. furloughs and layoffs, um, I guess the, the bright news is, and the, um, the positive note that I, that I kind of wanted to end on, um, is that the CARES Act did provide substantial increases in benefits for unemployment. Mm-hmm. Um, so unemployment is regulated by the state. In Texas, we have the Texas Workforce Commission. Um, which, as you can imagine, has just been completely overwhelmed and inundated. And um, I know there's a lot of frustration, people Mm -hmm. trying to um, contact them. Um, They do have a great Facebook page that is good about giving updates. Um, They've implemented some things like staggering call-in times. They're hiring more people Mm -hmm. to help. So working
0: extra hours. All of that. Patience, patience,
3: patience patience is the key for all of us in you know, everything we're and dealing with. And we would with, encourage
0: right? those uh, employees that are in that situation that it is gonna take longer to to get some of the cash in your bank account and maybe contact some of your creditors and, and see if they'll give you some extensions or, or uh, forbearance or deferments or things yes, like that. Yes,
3: exactly, lots of those programs. Um, going on. So in specific, uh, just so people can have can have an understanding of what specifically the CARES Act provided in terms of unemployment, 13 mm-hmm. additional weeks that employees are going to be eligible for unemployment, um, an additional $600 per week in benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know some of that is still rolling out. Again, the Texas Workforce Commission is working on, um, on uh, getting those type of um, programs implemented, but um, to the extent that that your employees are going to be subject uh, to a termination, um, I think that's something that is going to help all of us help keep the economy uh, propped up and again a, um, a highlight to to focus on um, in, and then in that's this the key is, is
0: we're trying to get through this temporary uh, although extreme situation it is temporary and these programs and these services and the, the, this relief that's available is to try to get us through the next few months so that we can get our economy restarted in, in a right, sound, and, and safe way.
3: Yes. Couldn't yeah. agree more. So.
0: Well, Lee, thank you again for your time. Uh, obviously, this is a very complicated uh, subject, and uh, it's changing. So uh, we appreciate your, uh, your willingness to be with us today and help us understand that. So thank you.
3: Appreciate it, JJ. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. And we're going to take a quick break while we transition to our next guest.
2: Want to know where the best spots to dine and relax in the Woodlands are? Or what's happening in your favorite fandom? From taste buds to the kingdom of geekdom, Woodlands Online has you covered. Woodlands Online, the place for local takes.
0: Hello, welcome back. We have our next guest today on employer-employee effects uh, from the COVID-19 crisis. And now we have... Ms. Haley Paul, thank you for being here. You're with uh, you're an associate attorney with Stibbs & Co. PC. I am. So thank you for being here today. Thank you uh, for having t- me. We're going to talk about uh, uh, some of the OSHA, CDC, some of the things that are, that are changing with all this uh, new, new uh, world we're temporarily living in. Right. But uh, what other employee rights laws uh, should be considered by uh, the employers right now uh, regarding the accommodation request that em- employees may need to make?
2: Right, so we don't want to forget about existing laws. A lot of what's being published right now is about the Families First Coronavirus Response Act because it's mm-hmm. so brand new, and people are just trying to wrap their mind around that, but we can't forget about existing laws. So Lee touched on this in our the first session. There is a pre-existing FMLA, and so we have to consider... Um, that pre-existing law as well. Mm -hmm. And so there is some crossover. There are some things that would um, apply under the pre-existing FMLA that aren't necessarily addressed. Now, as Lee touched on, the pre-existing FMLA is unpaid leave. And it's, again, for 12 weeks, so similar to the expanded FMLA. Mm -hmm. It's important to note that employees can't double up So you can't take your 12 weeks under the expanded FMLA and then later in the year take 12 weeks under the pre-existing FMLA. Mm -hmm. But there are some situations where there might be an interplay between your FFCRA leave and this other, the pre-existing FMLA leave. And so how that might play out, for instance, is you may have an employee who uh, took two weeks of paid leave because they were sick with coronavirus. They tested positive they did the self-quarantine thing for two weeks. Later in the year, um, they have a family member, a, a spouse, a child, a parent that gets COVID-19 and they have to be out. And one of the reasons for leave under the pre-existing FMLA leave is if you are caring for a family member with a serious um, Medical condition or caring for yourself as well. So, another way to. And this
0: obviously, I mean, probably goes without saying, but this does qualify as that serious medical
2: condition. Right. Right. You know, um, I'm I'm certain this would apply. And the other kind of scenario that this could work with is if the employee themselves took the two weeks for sick leave, but then they have complications. We're seeing some people stay in the hospital. For over a month recovering from this. So, the way it could work out is you might take your two weeks of FFCRA leave, and then you might take some additional unpaid leave under the pre existing FMLA. So, there's some interplay there. Um, this can get kind of complicated Yeah,
0: all these situations sound highly individual so it's (laughs)
2: so if this happens and i think lee recommended this but i recommend it as well if you start to have these situations where there's kind of a mix it's a good idea to reach out to legal counsel in those instances just to make sure that you're complying with all the laws and regulations
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, because uh, they'll
0: know your individual circumstance because it is so complicated if Yes. If this, then that happens. It's very
2: hard to give general advice without yes. knowing the situation.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, the other big component, the other law that I, it, I'm really seeing come into play a lot right now is the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA. Mm-hmm. And so, we see employers bringing in employees, rather, bringing in doctor's notes saying, I need an accommodation. I'm at higher risk to contract COVID 19. <clears throat> and what the ADA requires of employers is an employer has to provide a reasonable accommodation for qualified individuals with a disability um, unless it would cause an undue hardship on the employer. And that burden of, of proving that it would be an undue hardship is on the employer. So um, that's kind of a, a high bar to meet. So what I'm recommending is if an employer gets one of these doctor's notes, that they go ahead and start engaging in the interactive process that's, you know, like we say,
0: communicate, yeah, common it's sense. What the,
2: it's what the EEOC refers yeah. to. It's the interactive process where mm-hmm. they take the information from the doctor. You work with the individual to find out what kind of accommodation would work for them. But you also get to take into account the needs of the employer. And so and what this might look like is you may have someone who has diabetes or heart disease. Um, pregnant women are another big mm-hmm. category. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just a variety of different people that are at higher risk. So if they bring in that doctor's note and they say, I need an accommodation, the EEOC has made some recommendations on what those accommodations could look like. Um, For instance, you could change maybe their work environment for now. If, If they work in a cubicle setup where they're very close, maybe you could give them a private office for now or somehow figure out a way to otherwise separate them from employees. They've recommended using barriers, um, plexiglass barriers, tables even, Mm -hmm. just to make sure that they're separated from clients, customers, other employees. Um, They've recommended maybe changing them to a different shift. If there's a shift that has fewer workers, maybe Mm -hmm. that would be something that would help them. Um, Ultimately, staying at home is another one. If they can work from home, if they can telework, that could be a reasonable accommodation. And importantly, the EEOC has specifically said that short, unpaid leaves of absence can also be a reasonable accommodation. Now, the EEOC is clear to say that indefinite leaves with no end in sight are not reasonable. So they have to give you some kind of time frame for which they would come back are there any
0: elements to how long that time frame might be
2: and so this is very fact specific as well mm-hmm. I would say it depends on the needs of the employer what at what point would it become an undue hardship on the employer um, it may also depend on if it's a you know the it's a pregnant employee, that's a temporary condition as well. Mm -hmm. So there are some factors there that, again, probably a good idea to consult with counsel or at the very least your HR department on Mm -hmm. what would be reasonable under the circumstances. So that's another big component. Um, And one last thing, it's not exactly accommodation related, but I think as we're talking about other employment laws that we should be considering right now, um, another one to consider is workers' comp. Because I've already had a couple of instances where clients call me up and say, we have an employee that's reported that they have COVID-19. They say they think they got it on the job. They want us to pay their medical bills or they're going to sue. What do I do? And so the very first thing I recommend is if you are a workers comp subscriber, which I highly recommend, um that you immediately turn that claim in, turn that over to your workers' comp provider. Because what they will do is they will come in and they will do an investigation to see, did that person actually contract um, the COVID-19 virus during the course and scope of their employment? Well,
0: that's got to be hard to prove.
2: It's going to be really hard to prove. Especially with people
0: being asymptomatic.
2: Yes, exactly. It's going to be really hard to prove. And I'm guessing, and this is speculation on my part, but I'm guessing that most Workers' comp claims are going to be denied right now, except maybe in your high-risk industries. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like healthcare workers,
0: exactly, um, even a grocery store,
2: grocery stores maybe, workers. yeah, you know that that seems more likely. Mm-hmm. But if you have your everyday person who's an essential worker, but they go to their office and they go home, but they go to the grocery store and they mm-hmm. run to Target to pick up the retail to go, mm-hmm. it's going to become harder and harder to prove that you actually contracted this at work. The great thing about turning it over to your workers' comp is that they will do that investigation. They'll make the determination. And if it gets denied, then the employee's only option is to go through that appeals process. They can't turn around and sue Mm -hmm. the employer. Now, it's a little bit more complicated. If you don't have workers' comp, if you're not a workers' comp subscriber and you get one of these claims, I recommend reaching out to counsel in that instance because I think it's still going to be a causation issue ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if these started going to trial... That's going to be a big hurdle for employees to meet, but it's not as straightforward as just being able to turn it over to mm-hmm. your workers' comp. So I would highly recommend reaching out to an attorney if that happens. Okay.
0: And as we're starting to talk about getting back to work, and we've heard of the governor's order and, and he has a strike yeah. force in, uh, in place that's defining uh, who and what that uh, and how that will be. What are some elements to reopening, depending on your... You know, depending on your industry, depending on your business, what should people start thinking about right now to
2: It's a really reopen? important issue right now because um, we are seeing people start to prepare. Retailers in particular are starting mm-hmm. to prepare. That's Friday. Um, <clears throat> what are we doing? Retail you know? to go. Retail to go. And mm-hmm. so that's an important consideration right now. The very first thing I would recommend is going to OSHA's website. Um, they have guidance on preparing the workplace for COVID-19. Um, I, I'll give you a basic rundown of it, but it's 30 pages, so I can't cover that completely. Of course but it's, it's a, a long really, document. It's a long document, but it's a really good um, document in terms of it's very thorough, talks about all kinds of things, cleaning procedures, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, but the very first thing that they walk through is, they suggest you determine your risk level. They have three different lists, risk levels, low, medium, and high. And then based on that risk level, you would look and see what are the specific recommendations. For some of the higher risk, they recommend um, personal protective equipment, PPE. Mm -hmm. And Mm so I would look at what risk level you fall into and see what they recommend. They also have just general recommendation for all uh, employers. And it's things that you would expect. It's it's things like um, implementing procedures for having people call in sick. How do they, mm-hmm. how do they call in sick? Or if they, or they're sick at work, they are already there, they start feeling ill, how do they report? Do you, do you want them to go talk to a manager or should they go home immediately and mm-hmm. call the manager to let them mm-hmm. know? And go so to your
0: car. Yeah, go to your car.
2: Um, because the big thing they're recommending is if you have someone sick at work, you need to separate them and send them home. Yeah. Um, There are some other things that you would expect, things like uh, cleaning protocols, social distancing, how do you make sure that people are distanced appropriately, Um, but it's all set forth in that 30-page document, and there's a lot there. Um, And probably
0: what you see at industries like grocery stores, for instance, that are are currently open and have remained open, you should think about what what you see at the grocery store and how would that best implement at, at your office or your work environment? Because you may need to have, for instance, cleaning materials right. available. Right. Uh,
2: and and I, the uh, CDC also has some specific, there are some industry-specific guidance. Mm-hmm. So um, particularly for, I know I looked at some for um, dentist's office because that um, mm-hmm. has not been considered essential except for emergency procedures. But it looks like that might be one of the things that's going to be coming back online soon as we start reopening the state. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are, the CDC does have some industry-specific guidelines as well, but that leads me to another suggestion, and that is I would also go to the CDC's website. Their recommendations, by and large, overlap with um, OSHA, but they have some um, additional, like, how to clean and disinfect properly and some of those kind of things. So OSHA, Um, their guidance, then I'd go to CDC and theirs is called the interim guidance and it's a mouthful. It's the interim guidance for businesses and employers to plan and and respond to COVID-19. So I feel like it could have been a more succinct way for them to (laughs) phrase that, but that's what they came up with. Um, But going to OSHA, going to CDC, both of them um, have really great resources. The last thing I would recommend is if you are a Texas retailer, the um, Texas Department of State Health Services has also produced guidance specifically for retailers that are about to reopen. What I like about it is it is short and succinct. It gives mm-hmm. you, I think, four bullet points for employers, things like you know taking temperatures, things like that. But it also provides some information for employees and for customers as well. And so. Um, what I really like about that is it's short and simple, and for the employees, you could even make a poster out of it so that maybe that's something they could refer back to mm-hmm. um, i'm I'm all about giving concise guidance, and they did a really good job
0: it, it is difficult because there are so many different individual employee employer situations, but it's nice if you have something that you can look here's our here's our standard yeah uh, what what elements should an employer consider in Regarding screening and health screening of employees, and, and what are their because you know no one wants to go. I mean, even during flu season, which this is you know a, a horrible, uh, you know much worse flu type situation. But even during then, you're like, hey, if you feel bad, don't come in. But if you have people that are again asymptomatic, I feel fine. I'm coming to the office. Yeah. How do you how do you appropriately screen employees and then enact all those care mechanisms or cleaning mechanisms that right. to to keep all of your all of your employees safe.
2: Right. So OSHA and, your and, customers. and the CDC are both recommending that you screen your employees. Um, and both are consistent. And again, the OSHA has some pretty extensive guidance on screening mechanisms. Um, CDC not as much, but the EEOC has also provided some guidance there. But both the OSHA and CDC are recommending that you screen employees as they come in. So if, if they appear to be symptomatic at all, if you see the telltale signs of COVID. They have a dry cough. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, have chills. They having shortness of breath, those kind of issues. They are suggesting that you isolate and send them home and that you recommend that they get tested. And so if they get tested for COVID-19 and they test positive, Ocean CDC are also recommending um, that you let the other employees know that they may have been exposed. Now, there's a caveat there; you have to be careful because under the Americans with Dis- Disabilities Act, you have to protect that employee's confidentiality. Yeah, you can't name so you the can't sick name, employee. You, you know, you were in contact. Although, with, if you're in a small office and if you're in a small office, you know, and you have so and so not here anymore. People, you they can, might put two and two together. Yes, um, but. In general, you have to try to protect the confidence and and not mm-hmm. disclose that oh they I sent them home because they had a fever or um, they've tested this person's tested positive for COVID nineteen. But if they do test positive, they have at least suggested you let anyone that was potentially in contact with that employee know about it so that they can start monitoring their symptoms. The EEOC has put out some guidance that I think is particularly helpful as well, and the EEOC is is very sensitive to protecting employees' confidences mm-hmm. as they're the mm-hmm. ones who administer and monitor the ADA. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have said they are lifting temporarily the restrictions on medical exams. So generally when you start testing temperature or like, uh, monitoring employees' temperatures as they come in, that would mm-hmm. fall under the medical exam umbrella. And typically um, there are some pretty strict Um, qualifications that you have to have to be able to medically test an employee. And the EEOC has made clear that because of CDC's guidance, they are lifting those restrictions in a sense. Mm. And they're saying you can test employees' temperatures as they're coming into work. Um, I would advise if you're doing that, the person that's going to be testing the temperature, because that's kind of um, you're having to get close to them. That's Make sure right. that they have PPE, they have a mask, and mm-hmm. um, that they're properly protected during that as well. But you can screen for temperatures. You can ask them questions. Are there any you'd...
0: requirements associated with that, or is it really up to the employer?
2: I would say there's not a requirement that you test temperatures, but both the CDC and OSHA have recommended it, So, and mm-hmm. the EEOC, EEOC has blessed it, so it's not a bad idea. Exactly. Um It may not be practical for a particular business, but I think it's a good idea.
3: Okay.
2: Um, But the EEOC has also said um, you can ask screening questions, things like have you traveled anywhere that the CDC has recommended against travel Mm -hmm. or another public health organization has recommended against traveling. Ordinarily, you don't get to ask those kind of questions, but you can right now. Um, But if you're going to do anything outside of what the EEOC has Specifically blessed, I would talk that over with an HR professional or an attorney because Mm -hmm. this is not a good time to get creative. No, Um, we have had some clients calling in with some creative screening measures, and um, suffice it to say, that is not advisable. You know, it's not the time to get creative. I would say stick with what the EEOC, CDC, and OSHA are recommending. Okay.
0: Well, Haley, thank you very much for being here today. This is a complicated (laughs) subject, and I know we've spent a lot of time on that today, but again, uh, these situations are highly individualistic. So there are Department of Labor sites, OSHA, CDC, and also contacting your, your local council uh, is a great idea to make sure that you're just protected. Yeah. So thank you thank for being you. here. Thank you for we having that. me. appreciate yeah. that. Well, thank you all for being here. Another episode of Between the Trees, and we'd like to thank our partners at Woodlands Online for producing this show, and we will see you at the next episode. Thank you.